Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the light of the world. Fill our minds with your peace. Infuse our hearts with your love. And make our hands ready to serve for your name's sake. Amen. Jesus said, Whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. It's a very interesting thing for Jesus to say to his followers. In the Greek, the word to welcome could also be translated to receive. The implication is that when you receive this person, you are as well receiving the one who sent him as an emissary. But it was far more personal than what we might think. Here in the 21st century, the person is defined uh, by their personality, by our individualism. In fact, when I was in seminary, one of the most uh, memorable papers I read for a course on pastoral care was called American Core Value. It was written by an Asian uh, doctor, and he observed the difference between his culture and American life was that American life is all about individualism. Individualism. And certainly we who live in the West, we know that the West was founded uh, on that whole principle. You're responsible for you. Even if you're a member of a family, doesn't matter. You're still responsible for you. And if you behave badly, that's on you. And we see these people on Jerry Springer all the time. But what, what gets lost on us is that in the first century, that's not the way a person was viewed. A person was viewed as being part of what was a kinship society, a kinship. We see allusions to this even in the scriptures. When Andrew goes to Nathaniel and says, We have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. What does he say? What good can come out of Nazareth? We know those Nazarenes. They're all beggars and they're all thieves and they're terrible, you know. Just a blanket statement. Or how about the woman at the well? You know, Jews do not have dealings with Samaritans was the footnote in that story by the author of John's Gospel, meaning that this is, these people don't truck together. You know, they, we know about the Samaritans. We don't want to be seen with them. So, frankly, kinship societies make it easy to stereotype, and stereotypes certainly exist today as an example of remnants of kinship, but I don't want to look at a negative example. A couple positive examples of kinship today, well, one's going on right now, the World Cup. If you're watching the World Cup, then we're all excited about USA breaking through to the knockout rounds. And what are they playing? Today, I can't remember. But, you know, USA, USA. And if they lose, then that, that kinship's over. <laughs> In my ministry, though, I've seen two really unique examples of kinship. One of them had to deal with the father of one of my parishioners. He's my junior warden. He was a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, fought in Guadalcanal. And when he died, I don't know if you know about the Marine Corps, 
But when he died, a Marine showed up at the house. And some Marine was on duty with that family until that man was buried. That is the way the Marine Corps works. You know, there's no such thing as an ex-Marine, only former Marines. And at his funeral, I'll never forget this, because we did the, the burial at the cemetery. There were seven guys there, and they fired three rounds together, a 21-gun salute. That's kinship, the kind of which we don't see much. The other one I've learned about since moving to Arizona. One of the members of one of our mission congregations I know is a former member of a street gang, and I mean a very notorious street gang. I can't remember if it's the Crips or the Bloods, but I think it's one of those. And you know, in gangs, those are, that's a kinship society, and the only way out of that is kind of like death or conversion to religion. That's an actual reason to be able to leave the gang. If you have a religious, religious experience, you can leave the gang. But they watch you to make sure you weren't doing that just to get out of the obligations of that kinship. And if they think you were, it might not go so well for you. Well, our friend who left the gang had a true conversion experience and still is a very openly practicing Christian. And he had a family member who was in a, sadly murdered in a very brutal way. And what the gang did was send people to his house to make sure he didn't get upset and try to go out and avenge her death. It was as if to say, you know what? You're doing a great thing being a person of God. We got this. You relax. Again, that's kind of an exception that proves the point that, you know, we're such an individualistic culture. Here in Matthew's Gospel, writing at the end of the first century, he has Jesus instructing his followers how to treat one another. Because in Jesus, a new kinship has formed, the body of Christ. And at that time, you know, uh, there were probably competing versions of following Jesus. And, And Matthew wanted to be sure that we would treat each other well, something we ought to pay attention to now. But I want to focus on this idea of whoever welcomes you welcomes me and take it in a new way. You probably noticed we walked something up here at the beginning of the sermon. And what I have here is an icon of Christ that you probably are unfamiliar with. Now, I borrowed this from Laura Smith, the bishop's wife. Some of you might know her, and um, I have to take care of it. <laughs> but I want, you to, I want you to think about what I'm about to show you, Okay? Beloved, you are an icon of Christ. Now, what are icons? People write icons as a way of helping us look deeper into the mysteries of God, to understand God's working in the world, to shed new understanding in our hearts and light. And I submit to you that you, 
are an icon of Christ that you probably never thought about. Now, during communion, we're going to put this right where the preacher stand is for today. So those of you in the back or in the balcony can uh, get a better, a closer look at this and contemplate what we're talking about. In the fourth question of the baptismal covenant, the presider says, Will you seek and serve Christ and all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? And we all say what? I will with God's help. Let's practice that because you never know when somebody might ask you that question again. Will you seek and serve Christ and all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? Beloved, I believe it is not possible for us to be the icon of Christ in the world until we truly accept God's unconditional love for us. I think this is exactly what Jesus is meaning when he says, you know, the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like unto it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. We must love ourselves in order to truly love our neighbor. Now, I grew up in a church that uh, would be disagreeing pretty strongly with what I'm suggesting to you this morning. But I want to, and maybe you did too, but I want to tell you that I believe that regardless of the kind of faith we grew up in, or if we had no faith whatsoever, This is the good news, that God loves us unconditionally, without exception, and wants you to be God's emissary in the world to others. You see, when you, as the icon of Christ, go out into the world and see others, Jesus says, not only do you bear me, but you bear the one who sent me. And so you carry not only Christ to others, but God's love to others as well. So I invite you to relax into the willingness to accept the love of God for you and your life today. And to go forth from this day, seeing yourself as an image an icon of Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified and risen one. So I ask you, will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? May Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us a new birth by water and the Holy Spirit and bestowed upon us the forgiveness of sins. Keep us in eternal life by his grace in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.